Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we're going to talk about how the coronavirus is changing the healthcare landscape. And I believe that that is effective because that is something that uh, we should uh, think about because it's something that affects all of us. Uh, the coronavirus has impacted our world in, in ways that we could never imagine, in ways that we could never have dreamed of. I mean, the things that we have seen in the last 30 days in our world are things we never thought we would see in our lifetime. <laughs> we never thought we would see things like the United States shutting its borders down in a non-wartime wartime activity, nor Canada closing its borders in a non-wartime Neither have we seen, uh, thought we would see where the kind of impact we've seen, where we literally grind our economy to a halt just so that we can save lives. It's just incredible. And so today I want to talk a little bit about how the coronavirus has changed or is continuing to change the healthcare landscape. We recognize now, reluctantly, that there are some things that are never going to go back to normal. It hurts, and we are sad because we didn't get a chance to say goodbye. We didn't get a chance to say uh, so long, <laughs> sayonara, goodbye, adios, au revoir. We didn't get a chance to say anything to some things, but we recognize now that in the midst of the coronavirus and its lasting effects, there are some things that are not going to go back to normal. And in, in perusing our, our society and what we treasure, one of, what the things that we enjoy most about our freedoms, the things that we enjoy most about living in an advanced society that we live in, we recognize that maybe we've got to do some changes, even for the immediate future. Some of these changes might not be long-lasting, but good morning, but some of them might just be. And, and I, I hesitate to say because I, too, just like you are, I'm feeling the impacts. I mean, one of the things that has become very clear that is troubling, and that has troubled me in the last several weeks, is, the, is housing. You see what I mean? In Detroit, I'm part of the Homeless Action Network, and uh, so... There was a race to make sure that folks who are homeless are housed. And in the wake of the pandemic, shelters have, are overrun because of, of, of homeless folks, because of homelessness, right? And because of social distancing, it became necessary to place people in, in shelters in, in, manner, in a manner in which it was designed to keep everyone safe. I heard a story about people just walking out of shelters and begging family members just to go back home because they were scared of contracting the virus. So when you look at homelessness, 
as part of the greater conversation about housing, we recognize that some things have got to change. We're going to have to not let people be homeless. It makes no sense that we have unoccupied vacant buildings and people are living on the streets. That was always a recipe for disaster and anarchy. And we treated people as if they were garbage cans and nothing and the refuse of society. And now we recognize that they could have been hurt. They could have had the virus. And the virus is so contagious because it's airborne. It could have affected all of us. So even if you don't want to touch them because you think they're dirty and they're refuse of humanity, they're, oh, so Jeremy feels. The fact is that we all breathe the same air. Do you see what I'm saying? So that is going to change. But you know the number one thing about housing that has to change is the way we house people. Take, for instance, the city of New York. The city of New York is going to re-examine housing. I know a lot of people who live in New York City and who lived in apartment buildings. After this is over, it's going to be en masse moved to the suburbs. They're going to move even 50 miles out. As long as they can take a plane, they can take a train to commute, and only going to work some days per week. So instead of going in at traditional uh, peak times, maybe take the train and get in at 10 a.m., people are going to start doing that and work from home as much as possible, those who can. And we now realize that a lot of us can work from home. So housing has to change because you live in these uh, metropolitan centers, yeah, and these urban centers, and people are literally living one on top of the other. Had we not implemented social distancing, I'm afraid that the death toll and the rate of infection from the coronavirus would have been higher. So going forward, the housing has to change. It has to change. We're going to have to change housing. People can't just live one on top of the other. Like in some places in New York, for instance, in a brownstone that has five stories, there are like about 50 people living in in one shelter. You all share the same common entrances. That is a recipe for disaster. And so we recognize now how much that the coronavirus has impacted our daily lives. Hence the reason why we're focused this morning on healthcare. Because now we recognize that everything is tied in together. Housing is tied in with our healthcare. Where do you live? Because where do you live determines to a vast extent what kind of health you have. People who live in urban centers are subjected to more pollution. So you find that people tend to have more, uh, how shall I say, more uh, asthma-related situations, breathing disorders, yeah? And those things are highly contributed to viruses. We find that people who live in, uh, you know, uh, high urban centers and densely populated areas are breathing the same air. They're using the same transportation methods. They're touching common surfaces. So even if you live uh, uptown and even if you live in Suffolk County or Westchester County on Long Island, you still commute and take the train to, to, to the city, to Manhattan. So we're touching the same spaces. That is going to have to change. And now, I remember that about two years ago, I think when Mayor Bloomberg was still mayor of New York, he did say that the subways needed to be overhauled, and it hasn't had a massive change in almost 100 years. That is going to change. So the the coronavirus has made us look introspectively at the areas of our society that need changing, and healthcare is one of them. 
And healthcare is important because now we recognize that we used to say, well, we can't give everybody universal healthcare. And then we realized that if we were really paying attention and giving people access to healthcare, it would have mitigated some of the healthcare conditions that have caused people to die, such as asthma, bronchitis, people who are predisposed to it because they don't go to the doctor. We recognize now that nutrition has to be an important part of the delivery of healthcare. It's not enough now to just go into the doctor's office, right, and just sit there and shoot the breeze and not talk about it. We have to ask people, what are you eating? We have to start asking people about what are you drinking? Are you a drinker? Because now we see that what people drink, that drinking contributes to the virus. It weakens your, your, your liver. And if it weakens and places burden on your kidneys and your liver to process alcohol, which your body de- deems as poison, then, of course, we're going to have a problem, right? We see now, for instance, that young people, initially we thought this was not going to affect people under 40 or under 50, right? Uh, we get a pass. Oh, it's not going to happen to us. No, we find out now that people who smoke weed occasionally or they just say, well, I'm not a smoker, but you smoke weed, so you're a smoker. They, too, have been impacted by that. So now when people go to the doctor, it's going to be a comprehensive overall summary of what exactly do you do that is predisposing you to danger. And I know we say, well, we've been doing these kinds of analysis. It's called intake and so on, but we never paid attention. Now we're going to be scrutinized even more. Now we're because now we know the disparities in health that are contributing factors to why people, for instance, African Americans were dying more in New York, Louisiana, New Orleans, and in Detroit. These are called social determinants of health. And and the conversation around this is now national because prior to it was regional. It was confined to just states having this conversation and organizations like mine, nonprofits, looking at the community and recognizing that the delivery of healthcare is not equal. There's none of it is equal. We are the ones who are touching real people who would come in and tell us about the kinds of issues they have. I had one girl in my shelter who had, I can't disclose anything, but she had multiple conditions that required healthcare. So healthcare delivery is important. I've often wondered now where they are and how they're coping. Do you see what I'm saying? So now we have to look at our society in a different way. It's not dystopian. It's not utopian. But we have to arrive at a commonality and at a leverage and a, and a margin and a line that is equal. So now we recognize that there's too much inequality. The wealth gap is too wide. And we have to minimize that. And even if we think, well, it is this rugged Americanism that says that, you know, we are all masters of our own destiny and so on, you begin to realize that there are some things that are common to all of us, the air we breathe. We still come in contact with one another. So even though your credit limit on your credit card is higher than mine, guess what? If we all go to a sporting event, we're breathing this same air going through the same entrances, unless you're going to a private box where you pay $100,000 a year for. You see where I'm coming from, right? And so we now have to look at how healthcare has changed. Well, during the coronavirus, one of the first things they asked is that hospitals 
not perform elective surgeries. So you and I were like taking a, you know, taking a dim view of this whole thing. Well, elective surgeries run the gamut of cosmetology, right? People want cosmetic improvements to their bodies. Well, those surgeries were placed on hold. But during the coronavirus, there were other surgeries that were placed on hold because people felt like, I don't want to go into the hospital while they're treating COVID-19 patients with a virus and subject myself to getting the virus while I am in a position where I don't know where I'm fragile. So those surgeries didn't happen. So people are waiting for long-term, life-changing surgeries that have not happened yet, that are placing them in grave danger and risk. So do you see what I'm saying about the coronavirus? It hasn't stopped. Whereas now in Michigan, especially in the Detroit area, we believe that the rate of infection has platooed and deaths have platooed. That's good. You know what caused that? Social distancing. We shut down everything. People stopped mingling. People stopped mixing and so on. So now it has platooed. So now it's going to drop, 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 drop. And we're going to say, fine. So social distancing works. But the elected, the surgeries that are life-changing, somebody needed a heart transplant. Somebody needed a kidney transplant. Somebody had to remove a tumor. Somebody had cancer that required immediate surgery. Somebody had a, a breast that had to be removed. Those kinds of surgeries have not happened in the last six weeks. I'm not talking about the cosmetic surgeries where somebody want to go in and get a BBL. My, my kids tell me it's called a Brazilian butt lift. I know they're probably dying with laughter just like you and I. I was rolling. Because we're, we're so vain as a society that... People still want it. I paid for my surgery. I wanted to go get my breast enlarged to a size G. So I paid for it. So I'm entitled to it. We now realize that is it really necessary? Because had you gone into the hospital to do such an elective surgery, it's not medically required. And then you get an infection and you walk out and you change. So now hospitals are probably going to say, you know something? Maybe we should do those surgeries somewhere else. You know what we also discovered? Guess what? You were wondering what was feeding the, the inf- information about how women should look and looking younger. Hospitals, healthcare. Hospitals make most of their income from elective surgeries. Did you know that? I didn't. Here in Michigan, for instance, in, in the southeast Michigan area, uh, a large hospital system, Beaumont Hospital, says that they haven't performed any elective surgeries in the last six weeks and they have to lay people off because they have to shut their hospitals down to stop the spread of infection. And so they haven't done any other kind of surgery. And you and I are sitting there looking at each other like, tell me something that I don't know. It is what it is, people. The hospitals make money off women telling themselves that my butt isn't large enough, my butt isn't big enough that my face is too, looks too old, I need to take the wrinkles out here, take the wrinkles in here, put a filler here, put a filler there. My neck doesn't look right, and I definitely need larger breasts to be, in order to be successful. Hospitals make a bunch of money off all of us. We thought we were being vain. No, they were priming us because they make money. Lots of money, because sometimes those surgeries are not paid by insurance, they're paid by what? Cash. People put that thing on their plastic, thunk that plastic down, 
and boom, you get a new set of breasts that was life-changing. I don't know. Maybe you go dance on a pole or something. I don't know. Uh, I saw uh, you might pay for that somehow. I saw, I saw when one woman, uh, and I'm not saying that is not to say as a person that if I don't feel that I need plastic surgery later on that I wouldn't do it. I don't know. It depends on how I feel about myself. But largely, I'm not as influenced by the society as I would like to think I am. I am terrified of cutting my body unnecessarily. Do you see what I mean? I, I keep thinking something would happen. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. Okay, we, we're just going to live with what we have and do the best we can with what we have, right? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? So how is it changing healthcare? Well, it's remarkable because we have not been down this road before. We've never seen anything like this before in living memory. So the folks who went through the 1918 flu epidemic, they're not here to give us instruction. And now we're looking at what we're going to do. So right now we're kind of in a wait and see mode, really, to see how this is all going to pan out. Because based on the history of viruses, in the 1918 flu epidemic, we all have read that when they, they sent people back out too early, and people went and did their marches and so on. And, and then the second wave came and was worse than before. We're entering the summer season, right? It's summer. What do we have in summer? Baseball. We have concerts. We have lots of outdoor activities with huge gatherings, family reunions, all kinds of outdoor activities. If, and we want a resumption of normalcy, don't we? We all are aching for that. We're all aching for that human touch, that human connection. It's summer, almost. So chilly here in Michigan. As you can see, I'm wearing a sweater, right? But it's uh, the other day something happened to me, and I'm going to confess. It was Saturday evening. And my friends, I can't tell you how I felt. It was Saturday evening, and an overwhelming need and desire came over me to have a hamburger. Now, I don't eat meat a lot, but I was really craving the hamburger. And suddenly I could smell the, the smell, the smell of the hamburger sizzling on the grill. All of a sudden I could smell the smells of the onions grilling. And then it's almost as if I could hear the sounds of being in a restaurant. Have you, do you remember that? Sitting at a cafe and hearing everybody talking and laughing and the sound of plates clattering and the waiters and the servers moving back and forth. And I almost cried because I said, will we ever get back to normal? Are we ever going to get back to normal? And I, I, I ordered takeout because we have to support our local restaurants. I, I did order takeout. And when it came, it felt like, oh, my God, can we just get back to normal? But getting back to normal is going to come at a cost. For instance, now that we know how the virus is, are organizations and places going to get ready for a new surge? Let's say we go back to normal. Let's say we resume our normal life activities. Give it about three to four weeks, then we'll probably see a second wave in July, right? Because we're going to go back, we're going to go out, we're going to socialize. Are people going to, are organizations going to have healthcare workers on staff to check our temperatures? Are they going to be there to check us every day? Are they going to be monitoring to make sure we wash our hands after using the bathroom? That's a big deal for me. That's a, that's a big one, 
okay? Are they going to be there to disinfect us? I was watching, I saw a picture on USA Today yesterday where uh, the, the information minister in Lebanon was attending a meeting and she was disinfected by a healthcare worker. In other parts of the world, they are disinfecting people as they enter buildings. They are disinfecting, uh, having disinfecting tunnels where you ride through it or you walk through it. And I said to myself, how is that going to work here? So in other words, for them to have a resumption of normalcy, they subjected to their entire population to the requirement that everyone be disinfected. What do you all think about that? Do you think that is something we should do? Do you think that's something we should pursue? You think it's feasible or doable? What are the health ramifications? What is in that disinfectant? See, the first question we're going to ask, is it going to affect my skin? Is it going to burn my skin? Is it going to affect my breathing apparatus? Do you see what I'm saying? So this is, in, in some ways, I don't know how normal we're going to look after this. How are we going to date? Are we going to ask people for their health card? <laughs> Right? When was the last thing you went for a health checkup? Show me your health card. Are we going to walk around with little apps on our phone that we can point at people's foreheads and take their temperature right away? The delivery of healthcare has irrevocably changed. Uh, we, we looked at, for instance, uh, Beaumont's healthcare system. They're a study because, just so you know, uh, there's an ongoing investigation right now that one of their facilities was found to have a makeshift org with over 50 persons dead in there. I don't know how that's going to fall out, but hey, right? But think about how is healthcare going to be managed? If you develop the virus, are they going to send you all to one place where all the corona patients are and nobody wants, like zombie colony or something? It looks like that's where this was trending, wasn't it? Because some hospitals said, well, we're converting some floors and some parts of our facility to accommodate only COVID-19 patients, which tells me that they are probably going to put everybody with COVID-19 in one facility. And maybe healthcare workers won't want to do that because they can contract the disease and then it's just going to become zombie colony. In fact, healthcare had to change because COVID, as you know, how healthcare is billed, uh, they create a, a billing code that the insurance companies all, you know, all recognize and submit the, the, the healthcare providers then submit a bill with that billing code. They had to create a billing code for coronavirus 19. Imagine that. They had to create one. So it changed their billing system. Now hospitals are saying, well, we probably don't need so many people on staff. Now surgeons who, you know, have you met a surgeon? This is a surgeon. Surgeons were found themselves intubating patients, something that though they are trained to do is not what they do. But highly developed skills of cutting people open were just not happening. So now hospitals are going to say, you might need to do a course in intubation. You might need to do a course in how to recognize the signs of viruses. You have to look at how this is all going to play out. They're probably going to say, well, we really don't need you on staff. We just need to know you you can handle respiratory illnesses. Can you? If you can't, well, we don't have any place for you. So, So the people who are in healthcare 
and the scientists are looking at this from a whole different perspective. They're like, well, too much of our business, because healthcare is a business, hospitals claim they're not-for-profit, but that's not true. They make profit, right? They, 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 they make profit. If they didn't, Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush would not own a series of hospital systems across the country. So they're making money, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying, right? So, so now hospitals are looking at how can we be more efficient? We probably need to have specializations, right? Surgeons and healthcare workers and nurses who specialize in treating viruses. So get ready for a series of ads after this. If you ever have a respiratory illness, you must come and see us at blah, 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 www.hospitalhealthcare.com. You just get ready for that <laughs> because, because they're going to develop. It's a highly specialized development. Uh, I, I kid you not. I think my daughter is, 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 is going to be a health science major at uh, freshman at Michigan State University, and she's already talking about maybe I should look into this as a specialty. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. She's like, it's my job. <laughs> Right? You're going to tell me, mom, that if I were a doctor now that I couldn't go to work? I said, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. You're not going. And you don't want me to call down there to the hospital. Right? It's just a tongue-in-cheek joke. I'm like, I'm interested in your survival. You're my my child. I want to make sure that my, you know, that my child is is survivable. So in other words, what I'm saying is healthcare is going to look at us when you walk in. Are you survivable? Or are you not? You do realize that during the COVID-19 crisis, after a while, doctors and nurses were making decisions on who stays alive and who is not. So if you went in with a virus and you were over 65 or you were over 75 and you weren't important, they were looking at should we keep it to make you survive or not because they had to make life-changing decisions that we think they make every day, but it's under these conditions it is going to impact the way healthcare is delivered. Now they're going to fine tune the process. If you come in with something and you're not survivable, well, just lock them up and sew them up and just call the family and tell them, come say goodbye. As opposed to fighting to keep that person alive. This created a chasm in healthcare. As usual, the marginality and the marginalities and marginalizations that have occurred as a result of the coronavirus, where it has demonstrated a gap in the rich and the poor, these are going to continue in healthcare as well. How much money do you have to pay for a surgery if your insurance carrier denies it? That is going to happen. So some of us might as well just start poning up our houses and put our titles up as collateral to save our lives. I kid you not. Healthcare is going to change. Irrevocably, there are some things that are going to change. Eventually, they're going to develop a vaccine. Now, the question we have to ask is, is that vaccine going to be mandatory? Are employers going to ask, did you have your vaccine yet before you start working? Do you see? So it's going to change. We already examined how it's going to change workspaces and the fact that we're, most of us are going to elect to work from home. But now, employers could ask, show me your health card. You remember they used to send us for fitness tests? Yeah, to make sure you were healthy before they signed you on to the company's healthcare system? Well, this is going to be one of the questions they ask. Have you recently or been around anyone who has 
been infected with COVID-19 or anyone who has been affected by COVID-19, that is going to be something that employers will ask. Remember before the virus started, there were all kinds of memes. When the virus had just started, all kinds of memes that if you're at work and you just start coughing, they will send you home. We thought it was a joke, but now it's going to be serious. We won't be able to demonstrate. So now when you go to your healthcare provider, just before the virus started, my daughter and I, I went to the doctor for a checkup, right? And this was like in early February prior to Valentine's Day. And already they were, at, they were asking questions if you have traveled recently. You realize how much this is going to affect travel. Some of us are probably not going to leave the United States. The furthest we're going to go is Canada. Because after this, it's going to be like, whoa, what if something happens and I'm in another country? And they don't have the infrastructure. They, if, if America was struggling with ventilators, what could happen in another country? America was struggling to find ventilators. Then what happens in another country? You, most of us are going to be like, uh, I can watch the travel channel and simulate that. <laughs> because we're going to wonder, is, is healthcare now going to become totally universal? Not universal to America and Americans, but universal to when we travel. Now, we never used to pay attention to the, have you ever bought insurance when you travel and health insurance when you travel? Nobody pays that extra. You know what we're all going to do now? Yeah, you're going to buy it. If anything happens, yeah, you send that air ambulance and come take me back home. Because <laughs> now you don't know. And some of us are going to have itchy feet. I want to get on a plane and just get on a plane to go somewhere. And then you go over there and you realize that because America was so focused on what was happening in America, we didn't focus on what was happening somewhere else. And those people are actually sicker than we thought. And now I shouldn't have come down here. I shouldn't have visited there. This virus has insidiously creeped into every facet of our lives, whether we wanted it to or not, whether we like it or not. It's not asking us for our permission to become a part of our lives. It forced its way in. And it says, I am here, live with it. And even when we get to the stage where we have a vaccine for it, right, just like we do with the flu, it's going to become a recurring virus. So all they're going to do, China, and I'm saying China, we should all sanction China, because now it's become clear that this was something that started there, and it didn't start because somebody drank bat soup. It started because they created it to become a problem to Western nations. All you have to do is look at the pattern. It affected Europe, then America. Northern Europe, not Southern Europe, Northern Europe. That's how you know. So now it is changing the way we look at how we take care of our people. What are we going to treat our people? We're already developing vaccines and looking for ways to, to revisit that. Now the focus might change from researching for cancer because now cancer doesn't kill mass groups of people. Cancer kills individuals, but it doesn't kill mass groups of people all at once. This is a virus that when it went viral and went, it created a rampage quickly. So now healthcare providers and people at the front lines of healthcare, people who research healthcare and whose job it is to find and anticipate this kind of disaster, now they are going to spend more research, more dollars on what could happen. What if there is another coronavirus? It probably won't be called coronavirus. It could be something more insidious, something even more dangerous. 
that's how it's going to change. Now we're probably going to change. We don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know about you, but I can't stand wearing a mask. So my days of interacting with the public are going to be extremely limited because now going out without a mask is dangerous, right? Because now that we have been at home, guess what we have done? We have built up immunity. You see what I mean? Now we are at home, we've built up immunity. So we, we have become, it can't attack us while we are home. But the minute you go out, it can attack you. So now we're probably going to be wearing a mask for a while. I hate it, y'all. You, you, it makes my glasses fog up. You know, like I, I wear reading glasses if I have to read something. Or I wear sunglasses as part of keeping everything off your face, kind of. And it makes your glasses fog up. So I kept saying, what about people wear glasses? Well, my daughter wears glasses. And my daughter said, it makes her glasses fog up. And then you have to change gloves all the time, right? So now we're going to go out and we're going to ask, when was the last time you sanitized this space? So now we're all going to walk with pocket wet wipes. We have always done that. And I am one of those who are fam- I'm famous for having hand sanitizer, hence the reason why my hands are always dry, right? Because I always have hand sanitizer, right? So now we're going to change everything that we do. And this is something that we need to think about because we have to wonder what it is that that is 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 going to help us. So uh, it, it's amazing to me how elective surgeries formed the bulk of hospitals' revenue. We had no idea. Most hospitals around the country are bleeding right now. And my friends, we had no idea. These people were pimping and profiling all the time like they're making hundreds of millions of money. And now all of a sudden, they had one slow turn in four weeks and the whole thing is going to collapse. Something smells. Something is wrong there. Is it that they're not in as strong a cash position as they should be? But like the rest of us, they live on credit. So they fix the numbers and inflate the numbers to make it sound as if they're really performing when they're not. How is it that, and this is the the wider question really, is how women's bodies and our perception of what we deem to be attractive and beautiful to ourselves, uh, it's how we see that and treat that because they were surviving solely on the fact that I thought my, my eyes needed to be lifted up more or I shouldn't have brown lines here or I shouldn't have a wrinkle here and I, I definitely should go get bigger boobs. You see what I'm saying? These are elective surgeries. I'm also concerned about people who had mammograms scheduled and haven't done them. I'm, I'm concerned about people who, I wonder if people are still going to get their chemotherapy treatments. I didn't see evidence of that because people were scared. They made arrangements to get it at home because they were scared to go out and interact with the public. And even after this resumes normalcy, you know one of the biggest areas that healthcare is going to be impacted in its delivery to? Yes, our parents, our parents and grandparents in nursing homes. We abandoned them. We dropped them off just like we would drop our kids off at daycare. The only difference is we go back at the end of the day to pick up our kids. But with our parents, we dropped them off and left them to strangers to take care of them, strangers who did not care, strangers who did not pay attention, 
And then we found out that our parents had were subject to sepsis and all kinds of infections that they never needed to have. And now, here we are. That's going to change. The Centers for Medicare Services, CMS, says that most long-term care facilities that offer care and provide care to, to, to senior citizens, most of them have high rates of infections all the time. I worked in that field. So I can tell you that infection control has been a concentrated effort by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Department of Health and Human Services throughout the country. I can tell you that. One of, when surveyors come to inspectors that are paid through third-party contracting agencies by the government to come and validate a facility to determine whether or not it's, it fits the requirement and the criteria to be paid by the government, the biggest area they often focus on is infection control. Do you know most facilities always fail on infection control? Because these facilities are run for profit. So people don't hire enough staff to take care of seniors. And one nurse or, or so is going from one, or a nursing assistant is going from one room to the other and just transmitting the virus. They don't stop to wash their hands. They don't wear gloves. First of all, they don't have enough equipment. They never have enough equipment to perform their jobs. After a while, these folks just develop an immunity to survive viruses. That is going to change going forward. Believe me, the government is going to do something about nursing homes. We've all read the horrific story about what happened in a New Jersey nursing home where over 30 persons were discovered who had deceased and who were stored there. That is going to not happen again. We are going to require greater scrutiny, just like here in Metro Detroit. We found out that a hospital system stored 50 bodies and didn't notify anybody, didn't notify the county health inspector, didn't notify anybody. That is going to change because you're collecting government money. You build the state insurance apparatus, Medicaid, and you build, if they're senior citizens, they're probably on Medicare, so you build the government for that. They are now going to require greater mechanisms and control. They're now going to be requirements that you're probably going to have to check in. And that's something that I was kind of alarmed at out of this virus, that people could, the rates of reinfection could occur. It's just like somebody gets a flu shot, and every year they get the flu anyway. It never fails. You got the flu shot, but you still get the flu. You got the flu shot last year, but you have to get the flu shot again this year. And you still get the flu. Well, now they're going to require something else. And and it, it makes all of us, we need to sit back and think, is this surgery really important? Do I really, could I do some facial exercises maybe? That I don't have to go in to lift my eyebrows, lift my face. <laughs> Take out a line here, a wrinkle there. Maybe go on a diet. Maybe I shouldn't have such a screwed up view of myself that I think I need to go in and put in bigger boobs, do a BBL. You see what I mean? Elective surgeries form the bulk of the money that hospitals make. And because they haven't had, they had to cancel or postpone them all for a six-week period, most hospitals are going bankrupt and are begging for a bailout. Ladies, take power. 
No, you can go in and say, oh, you're going to charge me $5,000 for a Brazilian butt lift. How about I pay you $1,500 and we call it a winner? Do you see what I mean? The public, as usual, is getting screwed. They never told us that because they were never forthcoming. They never told us that women going in for elective surgery are what did it. I'm not talking about a mammogram. That's not elective surgery. That's required action. I'm not talking about a heart attack or having a stent planted in your heart. That's not elective surgery. That's required surgery. I'm talking about going in because you don't like there's too much fat around your knee. That's elective surgery. I'm talking about going in and reshaping your thighs and taking fat out of your thighs because you want thinner looking thighs or reshaping your arm because you have too much skin on your arm. Too much space, between, too much skin between your neck and your, your, uh, your throat. These are elective surgeries and hospitals who were also taking government money, lied to us, pretended everything was okay when in fact they were dependent on these situations to make them wealthy. Now going forward, what's going to happen? Do you think that some of those people who postponed those surgeries are likely to go and get it? Not a chance. That's why hospitals are closing, because people's perception is that that facility is filled with infections. I'm not going in to take a chance with my life. Even after the virus has calmed down publicly, chances are it still is in hospitals because it is in ventilation systems. And so if you go in for a surgery to go under for them to raise your boobs up or whatever, Chances are you might come out with something else in addition to boobs if you got them. Most people are not going to perform those now because people are going to sit back and say, maybe that was not as important as I thought it was. Our society has changed. What is important is health and strength and having money. Look at what happened in New York City when people who live in the city realize wealthy people lived in the city who traditionally don't go to the Hamptons until May, when they realized that the virus was spreading through New York City, all the spaces on ha- in the Hamptons were rented out. People just moved out. They were gone. <laughs> they took the train and the plane, and they were gone. Helicopters whirring overhead. They were gone out of the city. It's going to reshape the landscape politically. It's going to reshape the landscape healthily. As regards to healthcare, and it's going to reshape the landscape as regards to housing. The coronavirus, an insidious little virus, penetrated into the deepest recesses of our psyche and our society, and it has changed us remarkably forever. There are some things that are irrevocable, and we have to take note. Hi. We have to take note that this is not going to change. The changes that have come, we're going to have to live with it, y'all. And we're going to have to pray our way through a lot of stuff. We're going to have to reevaluate. Shouldn't I just make up in my mind that it would be cheaper to hire a caregiver for my parents and have them live with me as opposed to just dropping them off somewhere so I can live my life? We might have to make decisions about that. Because now we realize that the health of my parents is important to me. And I can't trust the system of healthcare 
to keep my parents healthy. Do you see what I mean? It's going to change the way we, we dispose of the dead. We're going to start looking up. Maybe we should start cremating more people because the cemeteries, they had issues. They had to find land. Probably they dug up some from 1920 or something. We don't know. Are you there? Do you know? We're going to take lots of land and start making it into creating cemeteries out of it. My God. And we're going to realize that for the last hundred years, our focus on healthcare did not really change. We still should have looked around and said, wait a minute. We are people, right? We are descendants of the people who lived in 1918. And as much advances as we think we have made, we still had to fight the same kind of virus that they fought and never overcame. And here we are with all our supersonic jets, with all our stealth jets and satellites in the sky. We couldn't see this virus coming. We couldn't see the impacts it would have, not just on our daily life, but on our health care as well. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been another edition of Down to Earth. Please go to my website, harrietkimmick.com. Leave a donation for us on the exodusfoundation.com. It helps us to continue providing services to victims of human trafficking here in the Southeast Michigan area. I also encourage you to continue listening to our podcasts on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Breaker. It helps to keep our revenue going. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a terrific Wednesday. It's a wild Wednesday, right? Wild Wednesday. Have a great one, people. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Hey, thanks for joining. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.